Welcome to the first episode of Shrinking Burnout. My name is Andy, and I'm joined here today with my co-host, Farshan. Hey, everyone. Happy to have you here. So this is our first episode, so bear with us here. We're still getting used to things. For the first episode, we have John. Thank you for having me. So I'm an internal medicine resident at a large academic center in the Northeast, interested in pursuing a career in pulmonary and critical care. John's going to be here to talk a little bit about his experience working during the coronavirus outbreak. It's definitely been an interesting experience. Things started picking up like mid-February. I was working in the ICU when we got our first person of interest. John, just for the listeners, can you tell us a little bit more about what a person of interest is? Oh, yeah. Back in February, we didn't even have tests really, or they're very limited. It was like suspected that they could have coronavirus. At that time, it was funny. No residents could have direct contact with any person of interest or COVID patient. For the most part, we were taking care of, you know, other medical problems that somehow have disappeared in the era of COVID. Then I started a couple of weeks later in like mid-March working on a one of the first COVID-specific medicine services. And that started out slow. There was only one or two resident-run services that were specific for COVID patients. And then most recently, I started working on the wards again. And this time, it was all COVID patients for all medical services. So basically, any inpatient wards team was anywhere from 60 to 80% COVID patients. The big things that I've noticed in terms of the last like month or so is just how many changes have taken place and how rapidly they've things have changed. You know, going from that first person of interest that I saw in the ICU where only attendings could see the patient, everyone was gowned up in full gear to basically every resident in the hospital, not just internal medicine, but other residents and fellows now running ICUs and basically the hospital turning into you know, mostly COVID patients. It's been an interesting experience. A lot of changes, a lot of policy changes, a lot of different roles for residents across the country. We've, especially at places, hit harder. There's essentially no elective time. They're starting to phase back in outpatient medicine, but really if you're either on the wards or you are home waiting to be called in if someone got sick or they needed to start a new ICU service or medicine service. Any changes to how your work has changed on the medical floors? So the structure of our inpatient services has not really changed much. I think the biggest change is just like the, I want to say this, I guess like just how we're seeing patients. Essentially, all patients now we're seeing fully gowned, you know, we're fully masked, visor, gown for every patient. It has changed the structure of how we like round. Classically, interns would pre-round on the patient, see them, examine them, come back, kind of talk to the resident about the patients. Then you'd round with the attending, go around, see the patients. Whereas now we're just, we're essentially limiting exposure. So at least for my teams, we've been going to see the patients as one unit only once. You can pre-round by calling the patient in their room with variable success because patients don't always pick up the phone and many patients are not capable of picking up or answering the phone. So it has changed the structure of rounds in a way and to kind of be more efficient in the room. How do you feel about these changes? It is difficult. 
as medicine doctors, we kind of pride ourselves on spending time with patients and bedside assessment is important in building that relationship. But when you're all in masks and gowns I mean, every patient's room, it's, it, it is hard to build those relationships, but it's just the nature of it. And obviously we're trying to not only protect ourselves from getting the getting COVID, but preventing it from spreading to other people. So it definitely has changed that. And how do you feel right now about the level of support being provided by your particular program and by the hospital administration? I think I'm lucky in my hospital and with my program. I think that this situation is so just thinking about it, it's just so insane. It's a crazy situation that there's obviously never going to be a perfect answer for anything. But I do feel like the program and the hospital has prepared as best it could for how quickly things unwrap to make sure there are enough beds for patients that no one service is getting completely overburdened. They had to pull residents that are supposed to be on elective to do inpatient, pulling fellows to help with some of the wards and ICUs. But I don't think any resident has felt that they've been completely overburdened by needing to take care of too many patients because there's not enough residents. They've essentially like utilized the resources we have, and I'll say they did a very good job of preparing and having contingency plans for when there are too many patients to be taken care of by the usual structure of the wards or the ICU, which has been nice. Can you tell us a little bit about how the pandemic has impacted your personal life? Um, so I think as most people, it definitely has in multitude of ways and obviously not even just related to being in the hospital, but the social distancing and essentially being in a city, not being able to escape much. I don't have like a nice yard or anything like that. So definitely that aspect of it has been tough for me and my wife, just kind of being stuck in our apartment. But I think in the beginning, it was a little bit more nerve wracking coming home and kind of worrying about bringing COVID home to my wife. And after hearing news that cats can get COVID, bringing it home to my cats as well. When I was first on one of the first ward services that had coronavirus patients, I think there was a lot more worry. There was a lot more uncertainty about what the proper PPE was for protections, even what the symptoms were of COVID. Recently, in the last couple of weeks, I, I did develop some symptoms that prompted me to need to get tested. Luckily, that was negative, but um, it definitely puts a stress on coming home. And especially at that time when I had those symptoms, I kind of had to basically wear a mask, go isolate in my bedroom. Me and my wife, there's only one bathroom. We have to share that space. So it was a little bit of a, a challenging time. I will say our hospital has provided us, if you need it, with living spaces. If you have COVID or you have symptoms and you're worried about bringing it home to family. When you first started getting the symptoms, what was going on in your head? My first thought was, this feels like I'm just really tired and I also didn't sleep really the last two nights and maybe I'm just tired, but I have not slept before and not felt that way. So I, I thought about it and just, I knew I was seeing 14 to 16 patients a day that had coronavirus, I'm doing my best with my, my PPE and my downing and doffing and hand washing, but who knows? Seemingly, just, there's COVID everywhere in the hospital. 
Not a good feeling to have. No, I kind of knew I probably should alert someone and leave the hospital so I don't expose anyone in case I do have it. I, I felt, um, I honestly felt like a little bit because my symptoms weren't like that. I mean, I didn't have a fever. I didn't have a cough or shortness of breath. It was just, it was just like this general fatigue and achiness. But, um, you know, it sucks because you have to pull someone to cover you. And, you know, so there's that uh, guilt and then it being negative and then, I felt 100% better after just getting 10 hours of sleep. And I was like, well, I could have, I kind of knew it was just sleep deprivation, but you just can't be too careful. And obviously, you know, our program supports any, even a small symptom, if there's any concern, getting tested, if occupational health feels that you do need to get tested. I felt completely supported by my program and the other residents. I think one of the key points that you said was the feeling of guilt. Yeah. I think a lot of us definitely do feel that way. But when you look at the situation where you're, of course, working in a very high risk situation, you're doing the best that you can. But at the same time, you feel guilty for getting sick and having to call someone else in. And it's just interesting that we're all in an environment where that's sort of normalized, yeah. and internalized that feeling of guilt. <laughs> Whereas in, you know, in other, other jobs, for example, if you're sick, you go home. Right, right. <laughs> Um, so with all these curveballs that have been thrown at you, how have you been coping? One of the big things I, I will say is the support of co-resonance. I think that's been the biggest coping mechanism kind of kind of sounding board. I had a, like an amazing team when I was just on wards and being able to complain to the other people on my team and then complain to me and uh, talk through issues and joke around and try to mostly make light of difficult situations that was that was definitely a big coping mechanism despite the kind of terrible things that were happening around us we managed to keep smiling and trying to make the the best of it you know i think for me it was like an essential way of getting through those you know few weeks on on that service and staying sane and then also being able to go home and be with my wife uh, she was obviously a huge support. Definitely just nice to come home, eat dinner with my wife, and watch some Tiger King to kind of relax and wind down. Tiger King's a good one. <laughs> Along the lines of things that have been helping to take your mind off the current stress, you mentioned having a bit of fun. Has there been anything that you've enjoyed doing? I know it's kind of limited, given that we're all quarantined, the number of fun things that are actually available. I do enjoy cooking, so... That's been one enjoyment is coming home and like cooking a fun meal. We just made some cauliflower pizza. That's definitely something you can do in quarantine. Have you been getting into baking? Not really. No, I've never. The problem with baking is that it generally requires that you make a large amount of, you know, dessert. And then we're in quarantine. So I don't know what to do with all that dessert because I can't really. Just eat it, man. I know. I know. The quarantine 15 is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> you brought up the idea of having to have these very serious conversations over the phone. Things can very easily get lost in translation. And I think that's a whole nother added layer and difficulty to the challenges that you guys are facing right now. Yeah, and I th that has probably been the most difficult part of the, the whole thing. When I was first on one of the early services, I had a patient tell me that we're treating them like animals. Basically, they felt like they were an animal in a cage. What do you think when they said that? 
I didn't disagree with him. The tests were taking four to seven days to come back. And this was a very low suspicion person of interest, but they got tested. So they needed to wait for the results. The result came back. It was negative. We're like, oh, great. And then we told them we were going to get him out of the room. We can get him out of the hospital. And then it was decided that actually two tests, negative tests were needed. And I didn't get enough time to talk to this patient before sending someone up to get him swabbed again for another test. So he was very upset with me about that and felt that there was poor communication, which was really on us. And that was, that was my fault. But um, is it really your fault though? I feel terrible that I, I couldn't even imagine being in that position and just being told that you're going to get you know, really soon and then having someone come in and swab you and not know why. With how hospital policies have changed around COVID, it sounds like your burden or your work had, had sort of increased so that it was a little harder to be able to manage a lot of those things that you would normally do, like talk to a patient before they get a spot. Right. And in the situation where they're, I, I think we actually had tried to call his, we tried to call his room and he didn't pick up the phone. And we have been told, unless like absolutely necessary, don't go into patients' rooms. Obviously, if someone's sick and you need to see them, you need to see them, you know. But it sounds like a lot of what you have been dealing with and seeing has been um, quite difficult. And it's been difficult for the people that you're working with as well. But it sounds like there's a lot of comfort um you know, and having each other and being able to rely on each other, um, having a good support system. Definitely. And is there anything else that you want to uh, say to our viewers before we start wrapping up? Um, not sure. If you're working in the medical field and you're in the hospital and working with COVID patients or any patients, just try to uh, stay positive. Try to do your best to have some relaxation outside of work and try to get through it. Thanks, John, for being on the first episode of Shrinking Burnout. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we interview Sarah, a medicine resident working in the Midwest. Shrinking Burnout is a podcast about furthering the discussion of clinician burnout and recognizing the resilience and hard work that many clinicians regularly demonstrate. Nothing we say on this show should be taken as medical or psychiatric advice. All of the opinions expressed on this podcast are solely our own and do not reflect those of our employer.